ask now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Um, it's good to have the chance to preach in air conditioning again. And it is, uh, it's often been said that the double task of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Comfort and challenge, healing balm and motivating prod. Um, I don't know where you are as you come into worship today. I know for me, the last few weeks have been pretty difficult. Uh, they've been filled with challenge. Uh, many of us, again, making less than perfect decisions in less than ideal conditions. So much uh, things to disagree over, for folks to debate, the temptation to dismiss one another and close our ears to one another. Um, and as I was looking at these readings earlier in the week, uh, I'll be honest, at first, um, the Ephesians reading stuck out to me, um, especially uh, Ephesians 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. And, and I imagine, I was like, oh, I could preach on that. And it'd be really fun because you would just, you know, kind of thread this needle uh, between just maybe a, a, a selfish passivity and sinful anger that focused on righteous zeal. Since I had been feeling a lot of frustration and anger, I thought, cool, I'll, I'll work this out on our congregation and talk about righteous zeal. Um, and one day I'll preach on that. Um, it's a needed topic. And focusing on it might have felt good, even been cathartic. But I don't think that's what I need today. And I dare say prayerfully, I'm not sure what you need today is permission and a better way to be mad at one another. Instead, I realize I need a word of comfort of consolation, of peace. And looking down at verse 32, that stood out to me. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then this part, as God in Christ forgave you. Um, it's been a season where we're really focused on others and decisions they're making and actions that they're deciding to do. And it was just this gentle reminder um, to look inward and to be reminded that God forgave me. This, this loving, gentle reminder of God's vision for his church and his forgiveness offered to each one of us. Um, just a few days ago, the church calendar um, celebrated the transfiguration, this moment on the mountain. And, and to be honest, it kind of snuck up on me this week. Uh, the reading snuck up on me. And, and just into the midst of, of just really frustrations, um, just a, a long Thursday, <laughs> um, I, I hit the transfiguration, and it was just, ah, the light, the glory, the beauty of Jesus, this reminder. And, and I was invited to, to pause and to rest and to worship and to adore. Um, and honestly, friends, I know that this is a strange season, um, and, and kind of my hope is that when we gather here for Sunday worship, um, that this is a place of, of refuge and retreat and, and refreshment. That we can pause and, and worship and adore and be renewed 
uh, focusing on the Lord Jesus um, and how he has forgiven us and how he calls us to love one another. Um, this is really fleshed out in our gospel lesson. That's what I, I want to spend most of our time on today. Um, John chapter 6. Because we see that the comfort and nourishment we need are provided by Jesus himself. That he is the nourishment and the comfort we need. We have here in John 6 this, this beautiful picture. It shows kind of the overall shape and scope of Jesus' mission. The firm hope we have in him who is the bread of life. Um, you might be going, hey, how are we still in John 6? Um, and that's natural. John 6 is, is a marathon chapter. Um, it's the longest chapter in the Gospel of John. It's actually the longest chapter in the New Testament. Um, we've notated it as 71 verses. <laughs> um, so if you're wanting to read a chapter of the Bible before you go to bed and you're really tired, you don't go to John 6. <laughs> it's a long chapter, uh, but there's so much in it. And, and so last Sunday, we started looking at this idea, Jesus, the bread of life, tied to really that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And now Jesus drills down further. Here's what I mean. Here's what I'm claiming when I say that I am the bread of life. Here's the comfort offered. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. The descent of the bread of life and the extent of the bread of life for us and for our salvation. So first, um, the descent, the bread of life that comes down. If you look at John 6, uh, verses 37 through 40. Um, you see that Jesus is tracing this story again from the Exodus. We heard a little bit about it in our Deuteronomy reading, but we're just reminded that when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, God, as their provider, their loving sustainer, sent down manna from heaven to sustain them. Um, like again, later in the Lord's Prayer, we say, God, will you give us this day our daily bread? And that's what he did for them. Every day he would send manna on a regular basis. But instead of joyfully receiving that gift, they grumbled. They were known as grumblers. And part of what they grumbled at was its ordinariness. Now, they got tired of eating the same thing day after day. Um, and that, that idea of grumbling at the ordinary things of God uh, speaks to us. And here Jesus is drawing on that early event, say, saying they, they grumbled at what God provided He's inviting them not to do the same, inviting us not to do the same. Will they gratefully receive this gift or, or maybe grumble that it's too ordinary? We'd like something more special, um, more than Jesus. And then in verse 37, we read that there's this really mysterious gift exchange going on because not only is the Father giving Jesus to us, uh, but Jesus says that, that um, he, we're being given to Jesus by the Father. There's this mutual gift exchange. Uh, the, the bread of life has descended from the very presence of God to do something, the Father's will. Um, and verse 39 says the Father's will is for Jesus to receive those whom the Father gives him and to raise them up on the last day. Verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Um, if, you're, if you're wondering what this passage is all about, what, what coming to church is about, um, that's a clear invitation. Look on the Son. Focus on the Lord Jesus. Believe in him. Be assured of eternal life. Um, and look at these amazing promises. 
Um, I, I was reading through Bishop Leslie Newbigin has a commentary on the Gospel of John. It's wonderful. And, and he, he's going through this section. And he goes, look at everything we see. Like we're told here that, that friends, Jesus will receive you and not cast you out. Um, that's good news. Um, that our salvation rests in his firm grasp, not in our fumbling about. Think about the penitent thief on the cross. He's, he's received instantly and unconditionally into the fellowship of Jesus because his love is total and without limit. Bishop Newigan points out, secondly, you receive even now this gift of eternal life. He writes, they will share already in the life of heaven because they share the life of Jesus in whom the life of heaven is present in the form of loving obedience to the Father. It says, thirdly, you can look forward with assured certainty to sharing in the victory of Christ at the last day. Um, though things uh, crumble and move and swirl around us, there is a firm and fixed hope for the follower of Jesus. The future, here's what he says, for the Christian, the past, the present, and the future are secure. The sin of the past has been blotted out. The believer is accepted into the fellowship of Jesus. The present is lived in secure fellowship and relationship with Jesus, uh, which is a sharing in the life of heaven. And the future is secure because Jesus, whose resurrection is the dawning of a new age, will raise up those who belong to him in the end. It's an incredible promise um, that here in this passage, this long chapter filled with these echoes and allusions, um, really to the book of Exodus, where God's people came up short in so many ways. Um, here we see the, the security of our salvation. How God has worked and is working and will work for us and for our salvation, um, our redemption in and through and with Jesus. But sadly, this crowd again grumbles. They don't see uh, messianic manna. They, they don't perceive by faith the descent of the bread of heaven, the bread of life that has come down from the Father. They see um, a carpenter, a stonemason's son from the middle of nowhere. Too ordinary, too boring, not enough. Not what they were looking for. Let's talk about the extent of this bread of life, this next part of John 6. Because what Jesus, the bread of life, offers is life. Um, life to the full, abundant, eternal life that begins now and stretches into God's new creation uh, we get a foretaste of it, and we enjoy it forever. According to Jesus in this passage, um, the thing we need to do is believe, to trust, to place our faith in him and the work he has done as the bread of life. He came down as the living bread, um, messianic manna on a mission. And as the bread of life, as John writes, he will give his flesh for the life of the world. This perfect, this beautiful offering. Um, what did Paul say in Ephesians 5? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He gives his very self for the life of the world. And so in many ways, this passage is about the cross. His, his loving death for us. Where he stretched out his arms upon the hard wood of the cross for you and for me to give life to sustain, to provide, to redeem. 
we're just reminded that he is the gift that's given. He is the one that we receive, the only one that can save us. Bishop Noob again points out, the true bread which gives eternal satisfaction will be the gift of the Son of Man when he has been lifted up and pours out upon all believers the life-giving spirit. He says Jesus here is now ready to unveil this, this mystery that he is in his own person, this man of flesh and blood, the presence of the one who alone gives life. And his invitation is without limit. For all who come, without exception, he is the secret of eternal satisfaction. And of course, this long chapter keeps going. <laughs> In many ways, it alludes to what we would call communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Unless you, uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Um, and it's interesting. I, I think we know what's going on there. That's, that's not cannibalism. We know that, right? <laughs> um, in fact, if you read in the Old Testament, um, the food laws were very careful to make sure blood was never consumed. Um, there was no medium rare steaks in ancient Israel, sadly enough. Thanks be to God for the new covenant. Um, <laughs> but what's going on here? What's Jesus saying uh, with this invitation to be nourished? Um, well, I think we're, we're called um, to, to feast uh, with Christ, to be nourished by him. Um, in the Anglican church, we're, we're sacramental Christians. We emphasize the sacraments, uh, especially the two gospel sacraments instituted by Jesus, baptism and Eucharist. Um, it's what we do when we gather, and we do it over and over again. <laughs> Just like the manna came down from heaven over and over again. We, we don't get tired of it. We don't grumble about, oh, we're doing this again. No, we joyfully do it uh, as often as we can, whenever we gather. And a sacrament is simply an outward, visible sign of an inward spiritual grace. That's what's going on here. Um, to be a, a sacramental Christian means that we believe that God often um, will stoop down and use something incredibly ordinary to help us understand the deep things of faith. Um, here, Jesus calls on us to, to eat bread and to drink wine. This outward, visible sign of, of, of inwardly and spiritually being nourished by Christ. Um, why do we think Jesus meets us at this table? He said he would. We don't know all the ins and outs of it, but we know that we meet with the Lord uh, when we gather. The catechism of the ACNA asks this question, what benefits do you receive through partaking of communion? I wonder if you think about that. I mean, it, I say we do it as often as we gather. It can get routine. It's good to be reminded of, of the work that we do and what it's all about. What benefits do you receive through partaking of communion? Here's what it says. As my body is nourished by the bread and wine, my soul is strengthened by the body and blood of Christ. I receive God's forgiveness. And I am renewed in the love and unity of the body of Christ, the church. This amazing meal where we're nourished by Christ, sustained by him, and actually drawn together. Um, one of the phrases of the last 18 months, we're in this together. How, how, how often have you heard that? We're in this together. Or, or maybe someone has just um, told you over and over again, have unity, get along, be united. The way we do that, actually, according to Jesus, is we partake communion together. 
Because we realize that we can't do that on our own. Um, we, we can't live out this vision, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We need the Lord uh, by the Holy Spirit to draw us together. And so why do we gather in worship? Why do we come to the holy table? We, we come asking uh, for the Lord to do a work, to renew us and to remind us and to, to bind us together. Um, and and it's, it's almost absurd, isn't it? To think that can happen just through bread and wine. These ordinary things of God. Um, and, and by the way, um, the words of John here are really, really earthy. Really ordinary. When he says eat, um, it's the word that, that they use for a, a cow who would chew their cud. Um, ruminate on this. Let it sit with you. Sit with it for a while. Um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, there's no good trying to be more spiritual than God. It's a good line. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put the new life into us. Lewis writes, we may think that this is rather crude and unspiritual, but God doesn't. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. And so, friends, today, as we say each week, um, we're going to come to this table and say these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. That the bread of life was given for the sake of the world and feed on him in your hearts by faith uh, with thanksgiving. Um, there's nothing more comforting <laughs> or nourishing that we can do. Um, that's why we would gather even with, with things on our faces, silly masks and whatnot. Um, we, we will be uncomfortable. We will go out of our way. We will get up early. We will come and say, may we have this bread of life. May we come and meet with Jesus. We need the steady diet of word and table, scripture and sacrament, and the context of a community where the Holy Spirit's at work, leading us and forming us and, and binding us together. Um, how do you apply this passage? It's pretty straightforward. Uh, we place our faith in Christ, or we renew our faith in Christ. Um, we confess our sins. Nothing fancy. It's written in the bulletin. We'll do it in just a moment. We hear the absolution. We're reminded that, again, God in Christ forgave you. And the season of everyone trying to get everything right and often getting it wrong, we're told God in Christ forgave you. And he forgave your neighbor. And forgive the person that frustrates you and makes you mad all the time. We're reminded of that. Reminded of the peace we have with God. We're, we're invited to declare uh, that peace to one another and then come to this table to receive nourishment and grace, to be comforted in the midst of our affliction, to meet with the one who said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.